Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you all joining us uh, via the cyberweb, <laughs> the interweb. Um, we are going to be picking back up in numbers this morning. And uh, if you notice, I am much more comfortable. I have a t-shirt on today, no tie. I, I've had it one Sunday. That's all I could do. It's all I could manage. In fact, I'm, I'm wearing shorts because I've decided now that it's summer. I've, I'm, it's it. It's over. I can't take it anymore. I, did you guys see that uh, video of, uh, I think it was uh, Ken Copeland rebuking the coronavirus, and he's blew the wind of God on it and rebuked the coronavirus. That's, that's what I'm doing with winter. That's it. It's over. I've had it, right? They say, well, why, how come you haven't shaved the, shaved the beard off then? Well, the reason I haven't shaved the beard off is because I'm afraid, okay? I'm afraid because I'm sure that the size of my double chin is going to be startling. It's going to startle me, right? I'm going to startle myself when I shave the beard off. I, I, it's as though I believe that the cure for the COVID-19 is Twinkies and wings. It's been absolutely <laughs> a bloodbath at the Thomas household. So pray for me, okay? Pray for me. Uh, I, I, need to, I need help. I need some serious help. And I don't need uh, uh, anybody to, to text me or to message me on Facebook with dieting tips or programs. I need a shock collar. It's simple. I need a shock collar. I need Nikki to have the controls and to just be able to write and just just like that. Drop the food, it's over. That's what I need at this point in time. <sighs> All right. Praise the Lord. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. Uh, we pray that you cover these scriptures for us, Lord, that you would help us to understand, help us to take these things to heart, Lord, uh, not just to know the information, but to own the information, Lord, to allow these truths to be written on the tablets of our hearts, uh, Father, so that we could live our, live our lives before you, Lord, uh, and according to your word, and not according to our own will, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Numbers chapter 16, and we had started covering this and then moved away for Easter, but we're getting back to finishing up chapter 16 concerning Korah's rebellion. Uh, now, of course, uh, Korah was a Levite. He was uh, a part of, of the priestly tribe, uh, and his family uh, were responsible for carrying the articles of the tabernacle, literally the, the Ark of the Testimony, or what we call the Ark of the Covenant, the Table of Showbread, the Altar of Incense, the Menorah, all of these things. Korah and his family were responsible for carrying these things. So he was, he was a, a very, if you want to call it, say, high up within the ministry. Um, he, he basically was one step below Aaron. Uh, and Aaron's sons, Aaron was the high priest. And the, and the family of Aaron, this was the family of the high priests of the tabernacle. And Korah having the position that he is, it's not enough for him. He becomes incensed. He becomes, I don't know if it was jealousy. We don't certainly know Korah's intentions, but whatever it was that was going on within his heart and within his head, he decides that this order of things is not right, and he should be just as high up as Moses or Aaron. There's no reason that these two should be lift up, uh, lifted up above anybody else, and so this is what they come to Moses and Aaron with. In Numbers chapter 16, verse 3, it says, "'They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, "'You take too much upon yourselves.'" 
For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now you see what's happening here is that Korah, when he looks at Moses, he is not looking at Moses as a servant of God. He is not looking and seeing Moses as a man who's been called, who's been chosen by God to do a job. What he sees in Moses is ambition. What he sees in Moses is that Moses is looking to exalt himself above the people. Now, everything that we know from Scripture and everything that we read about Moses and about the life of Moses tells us the exact opposite of that. The Bible says that Moses was about the most humble man on the face of the planet, as a matter of fact. Moses was not a man who was looking for this job. If you go all the way back to the wilderness when God first called him from the burning bush, Moses is like, you got the wrong guy. Please choose somebody else. I am not the guy. You know, whatever I was in Egypt, I'm not that person anymore. I'm not the guy that you need. Of course, God goes on to basically tell Moses, no, no, you don't understand, Moses. Because you're broken, because of the fact that you don't think that you can do things in your own power anymore, you're exactly the guy that I need. You're exactly the one that I'm looking for. I don't need ambition. I don't need someone who's looking for a position. I don't need someone who's looking to have their their name uh, known, to be famous, to be exalted. That's not the guy I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone who's willing to be humbled and to be used. And that's what God is still looking for to this day. But Korah was seeing the ambition. And, And of course, he was looking at this from the ambition of his own heart. Korah wanted to be exalted. He wanted to be lifted up. And it wasn't just him. Uh, it was it was other uh, in verse two. Uh, it says with some of the children of Israel, two hundred and fifty leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown, uh, and this included Korah, and then it also included a couple of his cohorts. In verse down to verse eleven, Moses says, "Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him?" And Moses sent to call Dathan. And Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come up. And they have the same kind of a quarrel with Moses. And I want you to see what's happening here is that they have no focus here on God's work. The the focus is on Moses. The focus is on Aaron. And they begin to make all of these crazy accusations against Moses uh, that that seem to be completely out of left field. And we'll see Moses' response to it. It says in verse 13, this is what they're accusing Moses of. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, wilderness, that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Notice, they're putting it on Moses. You have not. You have not. It was never Moses' job to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. It was God who was going to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. And it was the Lord who told them, this is the way in which you're going to enter into the land. And it had to be according to faith. Of course, we know the the 12 spies went in and 10 of them came back with a bad report. There's giants in the land. It is too difficult. There's no way we're going to be able to be victorious and take this land. It's too much for us. We're all going to die. The whole nine thought yards. And the whole congregation sang in that same chorus. And at one point, they even wanted to take stones up and stone Moses for bringing them there. And now they're turning it all back around and putting it on Moses. It's your fault. The problems in my life, the fact that I'm not in the promised land, the fact that I'm wandering around in this wilderness, the fact that there's bad things, it's your fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. You were supposed to lead us. You were supposed to bring us. 
completely leaving God out of the equation. Now, in Numbers chapter 11, just to kind of look at the heart of Moses, Numbers chapter 11, verses 27 to 29, and this is back at, at the place called Tibroth Hata'avah, remember, which means graves of craving, where the people craved meat. All they had was the manna that God had sent down from heaven. They had manna every single day. That was their sustenance. That was their nutrients. That's the food that God gave them. And they complained against the manna. They, they said, we're sick of this manna. We hate this manna. We want meat. During this whole affair, uh, uh, Numbers eleven twenty seven says, a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and me, dad, uh, not your dad or my dad, but Eldad <laughs> and me, dad, are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Now, this is Joshua doing the same kind of thing, not in a rebellious sense, but in the sense of he was lifting Moses up. He was jealous for Moses. He didn't like the fact that someone besides Moses was prophesying in the camp. Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Moses was not a person who, was, who wanted the power, who wanted the position, who wanted the authority. Moses was a man who understood the nature of God and he understood the power of God and he had a holy, reverent fear for who God is and for what God's word says. Moses truly grasped he truly understood a couple of things. When God calls you, you go. When God calls your name, there's only one response. Here I am, Lord, send me. And the second thing is, when God decrees something or when God commands something or when God's word says something, you obey it. There is no other direction. Moses fully understood these things. And so he was not jealous for the authority or for the power in fact, he says it right here. I wish all of the people that God, God could speak to. I wish it wasn't. I wish there was, I wish there was 18,000 Moseses out there so that God could just speak to anybody at any time. I didn't choose to be the leader of the nation of Israel. I didn't choose to be in this position. God is the one who put me here. And of course, in the very next chapter in Numbers, remember in chapter 12, his own brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron, had begun to kind of, begin to kind of back talk, and, or bad talk rather, Moses, uh, because it says he had married a, a, an Ethiopian wife, and for whatever reason that they didn't like her, and they begin to, you know, and I wonder if they were just sitting around the dinner table talking about, well, you know, Moses, God, why is it only Moses? God only speaks through Moses. And they were having a bad attitude towards Moses. And if you remember, God showed up and he dealt with Marion and Aaron in that situation. But in that whole thing, during that whole time in, Gen in Numbers chapter 12, Moses never got angry with them. In fact, when God showed up and it says the cloud of glory of God's glory descended, and then when it reascended, Moses' or Moses's sister Marion was leprous, the Bible says, like as white as snow with leprosy, just completely like, that means dead skin from head to toe, leprous. And Moses' immediate response is to intercede on behalf of his sister. He falls on his face before God. Oh, God, have mercy on her. Lord, please forgive her. Have mercy on her. And of course, we remember that God did. But Moses knew it wasn't about him. 
It wasn't about him. He had seen and, underst- and he understood the power of God and his word. Now, I'm going to make one of my silly references here because this is what comes to my mind, my, my silly little mind. Most of you, a lot of you out there don't remember. This is before the Avengers, right? This is before all the modern Marvel films that everybody knows about today that are out there and the CGI and the special effects and where Hulk is literally the size of a building. I was watching the Hulk back when it was Lou Ferrigno, right? Remember with the mop wig? With the gri- and it was just, it l- literally looked like a, like, a, like a dust broom, his hair. It was like this green thistles <laughs> coming, at, coming out of his head. And he just, it was just Lou Ferrigno, the bodybuilder, painted green, you know. But back in those days, it was awesome. It was awesome. And I loved the show Hulk. I loved it. And it was the same thing every single week, of course. Every single show <laughs> is exactly the same thing all the time. And it was this. Somebody starts messing with David Banner, right? Somebody starts going after David Banner. He tries to intercede because somebody's being victimized or something like that. And then the bad guys would turn their attention on, on David Banner. And David Banner's attitude, was he was never looking for a fight. He was always just like, please, 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 you, you don't want to do this. You, believe me, you don't want to do this. And of course, I'm standing there, you know, in my underoos in the, in the living room with my popcorn. Yeah, you do. You know, hit him, hit him. I, I wanted to see the Hulk come out. You know, I wanted to see, go ahead, mess with David Banner and watch what happens. You know, I love that. But David Banner's attitude was always, please, please. And at one point, remember, we used to say this all the time. Don't make me angry. <laughs> you wouldn't like me when, when I'm angry. Of course, and then my mother began to parrot this phrase. She would say that to me all the time. <laughs> Don't make me angry, son. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Moses understood this is about God. And when these people would come to Moses and they would begin to rail against Moses and make accusations against Moses and make all these wild claims, Moses is not worried about himself. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not, I'm, who am I? At one point he says, and who is Aaron that you're going to complain against him? This has nothing to do with Aaron. You are railing against God. You are railing against God's word, against God's plan, against what God has established you're going to have to answer to him, not me. And Moses understood that, and Moses had a fear of God in his heart, a righteous fear. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 4, the writer of Hebrews is talking about this earthly priesthood that existed uh, in the, under the old covenant. And, and speaking of the priesthood, the writer of Hebrews says this, and no man takes this honor to himself but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So, so, so all the way, fast forward into, into past Jesus Christ's ministry, into the church age, and the writer of Hebrews is, is referencing Aaron's ministry as high priest, and he is pointing out the fact that Aaron didn't choose this either. God appointed him. God had chosen him to be the high priest. You see, Korah and his friends, they, didn't, they were not considering all of the other things that went along with the priesthood. It wasn't just, I want to be a preacher. I want to be a priest. I want to be used of God. And so therefore, I'm now a preacher. Or therefore, I'm now going to be used of God. I've decided I'm going to be this, or I've decided I'm going to be that. That's not how it works. That's never how it works. Under the old covenant, under the new covenant, God is the one who chooses men. 
God is the one who chooses women. God is the one who chooses people to do a work. It is him that makes that choice, not us. We don't get to just simply decide we want to do this or that for the kingdom of God. And God is not going to honor me acting according to my own flesh, nor anyone else, but he honors his word, as the scripture says. In Exodus chapter 29, if you want to write down Exodus chapter 29, and you can look this up later in your Bibles, this is the process by which Aaron and his sons were installed into the priesthood. And if you remember, there's a seven-day sanctification process that takes place in order for Aaron just to be able to enter into the tabernacle and serve the Lord without being consumed by holy fire. There's a seven-day process of washings and sacrifices. And remember, they would take the blood and they would, of the sacrifice and put it on his right thumb and on his right ear and on his right big toe. And what was God signifying? That everything that Aaron did with his hands, everything that Aaron received with his ears, everything that Aaron did as far as where Aaron went was to be sanctified unto the Lord. There's a seven-day process. Korah and his friends are not even taking that into consideration. They're ready to serve today. They have absolutely no consideration for the lengths that God put Aaron through in order to put him into the priesthood. The problem is not that it's about disrespecting Aaron and Moses. They're disrespecting God's appointments. Instead of being thankful for the position that God had given them, they were angry about not having a position God had given someone else. Jealousy is an awful, terrible thing. But sometimes, you know, Christians, we can try to sanctify our jealousy. We can try to make it as though it's not jealousy, It's just that I want to serve God. It's just that I really want to serve God, and I just want to do it in this capacity, and I just want to do it. If we haven't been called to something, we have no right assuming any kind of ministry, assuming any kind of position that God has not directly called us to. Uh, In Matthew Henry's commentary, he writes this in a a beautiful way. Uh, It will help to keep us from envying those that are above us duly to consider how many there are below us. Instead of fretting that any are preferred before us in honor, power, estate, or interest, in gifts, graces, or usefulness, we have reason to bless God if we, who are less than the least, are not put among the very last. Many, perhaps, who deserve better than we are not preferred so well. Amazing. So what he's talking about is the, our, the heart of thanksgiving that a believer ought to have. The heart of thanksgiving. Consider our lives and what God has blessed us with. It's so easy to become a person who focuses on what we don't have. It's so easy to become a person who looks and sees what other people have, and instead of seeing what I have compared to what someone else doesn't have, All I can see is what's ahead, what's above me, and why can't I have that, and why can't I be there? That's why I love that Bible verse that says, godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to be a wealthy person? You want to be a rich, wealthy person? Be godly in your thoughts. Be godly in your daily activities. Be godly in the things that you allow in your lives. Try and seek with all of your heart to make God the center point of your life and be thankful and content with what you have. That's riches right there. That is vast wealth right there if you can have that mindset. 
Uh, interestingly enough, in verse 15 of, of chapter 16 here, when, when these men make these accusations against Moses, you want to be a prince over us, and what are you going to do, put out our eyes? They make all these crazy accusations. In verse 15, it says, <clears throat> Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. And it's interesting, the language that he uses here uh, to not, to, uh, telling God to not respect their offering if you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5, uh, God, it says, did not respect Cain's offering. Remember, uh, Abel brought from, forth from the flocks and the herds, he brought forth a, a blood sacrifice offering. And Cain brought forth from the fruit of the land, vegetables and fruits, he brought those forth as an offering. Well, God had said, God had made it very clear to mankind from the beginning after the fall of Adam that a blood sacrifice was required as an atonement for sin. That's what God had required. That's the, that, that is what God had put into place. There has to be, the Bible, as the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Well, Cain didn't like that. Cain didn't like that idea. Cain decided in his own heart and in his own mind that what I, what I have decided that I'm going to bring to God is going to have to be enough for God. What I have decided in my heart, this is what I'm going to give to God. This is how much of my life I'm going to give to God. This is how much of my stuff I'm going to give to God. This is how much I'm going to consider God. This is how I'm going to approach God. This is how I'm going to see God. This is how, I'm, how much I'm going to... Whatever I've decided I'm going to is enough. God needs to take that into consideration. God need, I've, if I could had a nickel for every time someone has said to me, well, I think God needs to take into account. I think that God should take into account, or I hope that God takes into account. Wait a second. God's word just says what it says. I don't get to arbitrarily decide how much I get to bring God. I don't get to arbitrarily decide how much of my life belongs to him. And so the Bible says that God did not respect Cain's offering. And it's interesting, Moses wrote that. <laughs> Moses wrote that about Cain's offering. Remember that. He wrote the book of Genesis. And he here in chapter 16 of Numbers says to God, don't respect their offering. And it's for the same exact reason. Interestingly enough, in the New Testament, in the book of Jude, chapter 1 and verses 4 and 11, and Jude is talking about false teachers and false prophets who are going to come into the church uh, and spread their false doctrines. And it says this in verse 4 and verse 11 of Jude chapter 1, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our Lord God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What does he mean by that? who talk about the grace of God, who talk about the forgiveness of God and use it as a license to get whatever it is that they want. They live their lives according to their own pleasure. They live their lives according to their own, uh, their own ways. And they go into churches seeking rap, not, not what they can give, but what they can get. And they use the grace of God to do it. And that's what it means when it says they're denying uh, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 11, it says, Woe to them, listen to this, for they have gone in the way of Cain 
have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Isn't that fascinating? Cain, Balaam, which we haven't, we haven't, we haven't gotten to that point yet. We're, we're almost there. And Korah. And he puts these three in this category, talking about these people who have come into the church. Cain, what I have for God is enough. God just has to accept whatever it is that I'm willing to give. Wrong. Balaam, we're going to read about him later on. He was all about the Benjamins, right? He was all about the money. He was all about the prophet. There's people like that within the church that we know of, right? That's not the way to be. That is also false. And the third is Korah. This is the third kind of person uh, that, find, that, that we find within the body of Christ uh, that is listed amongst these false brethren who are there and they want a position and they want authority. And what's more, what's more, they look around at the people who God has given position and authority to and know they don't deserve it or they shouldn't be there or it shouldn't be them or, or, or they shouldn't be there and, and, and completely forget the fact that God has put people in the ministry whom he has chosen. Uh, in 1 Samuel, cha- chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 15, <clears throat> verses 22 and 23, it's one of my favorite verses. And this, of course, is when King Saul uh, has, has defeated the Amalekites in battle, and he was told to not spare one of them. Uh, and, of course, he does. He spares the king, King Agag. <laughs> That's his name, King Agag, uh, and, and, and uh, sheep and oxen uh, and, and animals, choice animals from their herds that, and livestock that he wanted to keep for himself. And so Samuel shows up and he begins to question Saul and he begins to confront him. That's not what you were told to do. And Saul has a list of, of, of uh, excuses. He has a list of reasons, great reasons, really, really good reasons and excuses why he didn't need to do exactly what God's word had said that he needed to do. And here's what Samuel said to Saul. Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold. And when it says behold, it means listen up, right? You read in the Bible and it says behold, just like when it says therefore, listen up, listen up. Behold. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Now, sacrifice and the fat of rams and all, we don't have that in the church today, of course. Jesus Christ was our sacrifice, our one-time sacrifice for all of our sins. We don't have the fat of rams, and we don't have the blood of bulls and sheep and goats, but we still have God's word. And we still have the call to be obedient to God's word. One might say to us, to obey the voice of the Lord is better than church. It's better than going to, better than church. It's better than all of the good deeds that you do. It's better than all of the scripture verses that you've memorized. It's better than all of the churchy, religious things that you do or say. All of that is secondary to obey the voice or obey the word of the Lord. He goes on to say this, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Interesting. And stubbornness as an, uh, is as iniquity and idolatry. And then he says to Saul, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. To obey, though, uh, is better than sacrifice. I mean, that is a heavy, heavy verse. One of, my, one of my favorites, one that I remind myself or try to remind myself of all the time. What God requires of us, first and foremost, is to be obedient to his word. 
I mean, man, we've got so many different reasons and excuses. And well, the culture and it's different and times are different and all. God has not changed anything. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Okay? We have an old covenant before Jesus Christ, and we have the new covenant under Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and under that new covenant, under Jesus Christ, under the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and the fulfillment of all prophecy, and, <clears throat> and the fulfillment and the culmination of all the sacrifices of the Old Testament in Jesus Christ, we have been spared so many things. We have been spared so many things. We don't have to offer sacrifices. We don't have to eat the certain dietary codes because the Bible says that all of those things were a shadow of what was to come and Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that. We have so much freedom. We have so much liberty within the church today. We don't have to be careful about, well, we do currently have to be careful how we wash our hands, don't we? I guess I'm speaking out of turn here. We currently do. But in a religious sense, we don't have to be careful about how washing our hands ceremonially in a certain way, what we, what we wear. <laughs> it's one of the reasons I dress the way I dress, because this is how I dress every single day. And I can be the same on Sunday that I am on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. God hasn't called me to be some sort of holy, righteous, uh, you know, perfect vessel. God's called me to be obedient to his word and to do what he says. There is no, there is no traditions. There is no things. In, it's obeying the voice of God. That's what's important to this day. Uh, and now I wanted to kind of just read a couple more verses here before we finish up. 1 Samuel chapter, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 11 and 12. And he himself, talking about Jesus, of course, uh, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And I just want to talk about a little thing that, uh, a little thing that kind of bugs me sometimes, and, and so much of what I see happening in the church today, and it's it's this idea that you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You say, well, yeah, what's wrong with that? Nothing. I agree 100%. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But what happens is, is people take a statement like that, and they take it way beyond the boundaries of its intentions. And what I mean is this, people who say that to me, a lot of times, don't ever go to church. People that say, well, you don't have to go to church. I, I worship God here. I worship God there. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. You can worship God on a dirt bike track. You can worship God on a golf course. You can worship God wherever you go. That's God's intention for everybody's life. But God specifically under the power of the Holy Spirit and in his creation of the church, God specifically appointed positions for men to hold within the church of God that we are supposed to adhere to, that we are supposed to submit ourselves to. Man didn't create church. The idea of gathering together and worshiping God in a communal sense, that is not a creation of man. That is a creation of God. That is something that God has done. And man did not appoint apostles, as it says here, and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. God appointed people for these roles. God appointed people to do these jobs. 
And if God has created the church and God has created these roles, then I would say it stands to reason that God expects all of his children to adhere themselves to the model that God has put into place. God gave us, in other words, God gave us churches and God gave us preachers and also evangelists and prophets and apostles, as the word says. But God has given us churches and God has given us pastors for us to go to. There's, there's, my dad used to always say there's no, no room and there's no need and there's no desire in God's heart for any lone rangers uh, within the body of Christ. And the Bible is replete with verses that talk about the fact that we are all knit together. We need one another. And God has established certain roles and certain identities within the church, and he expects us to adhere to that. I'm not trying to, to shoot anybody down or to make anybody feel bad. And listen to me and, and hear me out here. Because a lot of people would say, well, I work on Sundays. I'm a firefighter. I'm an EMT. I'm a doctor. I'm a policeman. I'm this or that. Or we have this. Or we have... There is absolutely no reason that anybody anywhere can't still have a home church, right? That they belong to, that they submit themselves to, and a pastor who they allow to speak into their lives. That they say, that's my pastor. And that's someone who, when he speaks to me, I need to listen because that person has been appointed by God. He didn't just get up there and decide to do it himself one day. This is someone that God has called to do it. Now, a lot of people, you know, would say, well, I'm not following you. <laughs> you know, you're a goofball. You know, I know you. I am, I'm, not, I'm not going to your church. No offense, dude. You're just goofy, right? That's okay. That, there's plenty of people who have left our church because I was goofy, right? Because they just couldn't handle the way that I come across or the way that I dress or whatever the case may be. That's okay. That's okay. But listen to me. There's a church out there for you. There's a church out there for you. You're welcome at this one. But if this is not the church for you, and I'm not the pastor, dad's not, if, and dad's not the pastor for you, there's someone else out there who is. And, and here's the thing. We're under grace. We are under grace. We're not under the law, thank God. I'm not calling you Korah. I'm not calling you Cain. I'm not calling you any of these things, right? You are sanctified in the blood of Jesus Christ. See, you don't have to be put under any condemnation like that because you are set free through the blood of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't make the word of God not true. That doesn't make the word of God null and void. And it does not give us release from being obedient to it. And so here's, here's my encouragement to everybody who's out there today. Uh, people who maybe have, have said they don't have time for church or that, that pastors are greedy, pastors are power hungry, pastors are hypocrites. That's a good one. Uh, and here's, a, here's one that I love. They know more than their pastor. <laughs> they know more than their pastor. Their pastor doesn't know the hidden truths of the Bible that they do. Uh, you know, so many, so many things that people have, have taken from Scripture, uh, and, and, and maybe, maybe it's out of context, maybe it's twisted, and, and, but there's nobody in their life to say, you need to look at this, and you need to look at this, and you need to look at this. It's not the job of a pastor to find the hidden, secret, deep, super spiritual truths in Scripture that you would never be able to know on your own, but only I, your pastor, can know. That's not the job of a pastor. The job of a pastor, a pastor is someone who's called by God to stand behind the pulpit, and the Bible says, rightly divide the word of truth. In other words, here's what it says. Here's what it says. That's it. 
Here's what it says. And we trust that the Holy Spirit is going to determine in your heart what that means for your life. Now, that doesn't mean that you can just go off on any wild thing. That's the other thing that the pastor's for. You know, the Word of God says what it says. It's not that difficult to understand. And a pastor is someone who has been put in place by God to rightly divide the Word of truth. Here's what the Bible says. You take this home. Who cares? It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what Dad says. You take this home. You be a Berean, right? You pray over this, and you ask God, what does this mean for my heart, Lord? What does this mean for my life? What are you trying to say to me? Was what the pastor was saying, was that, was that for me? Is there something that I need to do? That's the purpose of a pastor. God says, you need to go to church. And God says, you need a pastor just like everybody else. The problem with mankind today is the same problem that it's always been. We were talking about this a little bit before church. And that is that we just want to do what we want to do. And we don't want to be obedient to anybody, even God, or even submit to his word. And we see this as like the person standing in front of their house that was poorly built and an F5 tornado is two blocks away and it's coming straight for their house. And the pastor and the evangelist and uh, these other people who have been called by God are the ones standing out in front of, in the street, hollering at the person and waving their arms and going, there's a category five coming and your house ain't built for it. Your house was not built for it. Reminds me of the parable that Jesus told. The person that takes these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, right? It's like the person that built their house upon the sand. And the wind roared and the seas rose and that person's house fell and great was its fall. But the person that takes these words of mine, Jesus said, and puts them into practice and adheres them and applies them, not, not, not figuratively, in real time, applies them to their lives is like the person whose house was built upon the rock. And the wind came and the rains came and the seas rose, but the house that was built on the rock stood firm. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word, Lord. We're grateful, uh, Lord, for the calling that you have in all of our lives, Lord. And we pray that you would help us uh, to be submitted and obedient to your word, Father, knowing... um, (laughs) that the thoughts that you have for us, Lord, are to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a future and a hope, Lord. And the things that you have required of us and the things that you have called us to do and to be obedient to in your scripture, Lord, is never um, to diminish our lives, Father. It's never to, that, that we would miss out on anything, Father, but it's to enrich our lives, Lord, and to fill us with the glory and the love of Jesus Christ, Lord, and to make our hearts full, Uh, Father, we pray and ask that you would help all of us, Lord, in every capacity, in every situation, uh, Lord, to be seeking to be those people, Lord, the kind of person that seeks to build their their house on the rock, Lord, by being obedient to the words written in your book. Father, we pray that you'd have your way among us and that you would use us as you see fit, Lord, that we would be submitted to your will, Lord, knowing that the thoughts, again, that you have towards us, Lord, are to make our lives full and rich and beautiful, Father. So we thank you and we praise you, Lord. We once again ask that you would be with um, really everyone in our country, Lord, and around the world suffering through this, this uh, uh, pandemic that we, we find ourselves in, Lord. We, we ask, Lord, for the hearts of uh, people, Lord, who are confused, people who are scared, uh, and a lot of people, Lord, who are angry, uh, Lord, dur- during this thing. And 
um, some of the conflict that we see arising, Lord, because of this. Uh, we ask, Lord, for peace. We ask, Father, that you bring peace to people's hearts, Lord, um, for, help, for us to focus our eyes on you, Lord, not to worry about what the world's doing, Lord, to do what we know we're supposed to do, Lord, and allow you to take care of the rest. We know that you have a plan for this world, and all the things that you've spoken of in your word are going to come true and going to come to pass, Lord. So we pray that you would help us to rest in that uh, and to just focus on you, Father, as we do the things you know you've called us to do in our daily lives. Lord, and to be a light and to be salt and to be hope for people, Lord, who are looking for truth, people who find themselves lost and not knowing, knowing what to do, Lord, that we would be uh, pointing them to the anchor, pointing them to the rock in Jesus Christ, Lord. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. God bless you all. Amen.